mean digital transformation TikToks, blockchain, and Web 3.0, and an executive summary of digital transformation best practices. Those are just a few topics we'll cover here on episode number 101 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, the strategy, people, process, and technology sides of change. My name is Eric Kimberling, CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We are an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. I'm here with my co-host, Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show as always. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you here. This is episode number 101. Uh, the first episode of 2023. Happy New Year to to you, Kyler, and to everyone else listening right now. I hope 2023 is a great year for everyone, and that's really the the premise of where we want to go today. Uh, we're going to cover a few different things in in today's conversation. Uh, first of all, we're going to dive into some mean TikTok comments that uh, I've received about some of my content on uh, TikTok. Um, but we're doing it to, as a way to really kind of ease into the new year. Uh, a lot of people are coming off holiday. A lot of people are sort of easing back into 2023. Some people never took a break, but some, a lot of people did. And so we thought we'd start off with a humorous take of uh, some mean digital transformation TikToks um, that we've found and, and kind of uh, scrubbed from my, or, or found on my uh, TikTok channel. Um, so we'll open up the segment with that. We usually do hot topics, but we figure just to keep it light uh, here in this first episode of the new year. We'd start off with some mean TikToks. And then later in the show, we're going to have our first guest. Uh, her name is Kiara Monoretto. And uh, first of all, before I say who she is, Kyler, do you speak Italian or Spanish? Because I'm supposed to roll my tongue on her first name and her last name, but I don't know how to roll my tongue because I don't speak Spanish or Italian. Um, I, so I'm just curious more than anything. Do you, do you know how to uh, speak Spanish or Italian? I do not. But obviously, she's more elegant than us and smarter. So okay. she's got us on both. Well, All right. Well, I, even though I'm I'm totally Americanizing and messing up her name, uh, it is Chiara Munaretto, and she is a, a really uh, good guest covering a topic that I'm excited to have uh, on the show. And the topic is a blockchain and Web 3.0, and how blockchain and Web 3.0 factor into digital transformations or can factor into digital transformations. So we'll talk about some of that emerging technology, what it means to the future of enterprise technology here uh, later in the show. And then last but not least, uh, the third segment is actually going to be a presentation that I gave at a recent Digital Stratosphere event where I talk about an executive summary of digital transformation best practices. And we wanted to play you this clip or this presentation because it's a great way to sort of level set for the new year as we get into 2023 here. These are the things you should really keep in the back of your mind or as sort of a refresher of the things to keep in the back of your mind as you go through a digital transformation or as you, you continue planning for one. Uh, these are the things these are the things you want to do to be successful and to avoid failure. So stay tuned for that. That'll be the third segment. But before we get to that segment and our guest uh, Kiara, um, 
we've got uh i've noticed recently on my tiktok which is a totally different animal than than youtube and other social media but tiktok uh people get a little feisty on there um uh, on my channel especially when i say something uh semi-controversial as i tend to do sometimes or all the time depending on how you look at it um what were some of the you you've kind of gone through and compiled a sort of a best of list of some of the funniest or meanest oh, yeah. comments on, on tiktok what what have you got here kyler <laughs> I feel like I'm about well, to get roped. Um, I know. I'll try not to like laugh my way through it, but I'm. <laughs> I will say that you have 44,000 followers on TikTok, which I hope you know your teenage sons are impressed with you because that's pretty incredible to have that amount of following in such a short time. Because you just started your channel this year, right? I uh, know. It's uh, beginning of last year, so like March or April of beginning. 2021. So actually year before gotcha. last. Well, let's jump in. Um, we're taking a little Jimmy Fallon mean tweets situation going on. Or is it Jimmy Kimmel? Someone does mean tweets, but we're going to read Fallon. Some, some Jimmy Fallon. There you go. Um, mean mean TikTok comments from, from Eric's channel. And we'll ask him to address those because I do think <laughs> that there are some some interesting pieces in here that we that you can kind of speak to. So um, on one of your videos about uh, predictions for 2030, you talk about cloud and SaaS backlash. So right. this very engaged user said, you have blockbuster mentality with archaic belief system, most likely based on loss of revenue to the cloud because you are losing revenue to the cloud. So first of all, we don't sell any software, so we're not losing any revenue to the cloud. Right. Correct. But I do want to kind of dig into this a little bit and talk about cloud contracts and and moving to the cloud when it comes to overall cost of ownership um, and the revenue drive that vendors place that pressure on a lot of our clients to move to the cloud. So that's kind of something that you talked about in that video. So do you want to address Spartacus 8005's comment here? Right. Well, actually, I remember seeing that comment on YouTube, um, the blockbuster mentality, you know, and just to maybe add some context, I think what that person is saying is that I'm resisting the inevitable, which is on-premise technology is going to go away, just like just like blockbuster video did. Um, you know, Netflix came along and sort of destroyed the industry or destroyed blockbuster's position in the industry, and I don't think blockbuster is even around anymore, if I remember correctly, but um, I could, on one hand, I could sort of see where he, he or she is going with that. I don't know the person's real name or or anything, but um, but on the other hand, it's based on actual experience of seeing this happen before. You know, it's it's sort of like you get these swings in the pendulum that goes one way or the other, and it almost always just swings back the other way. And it'll, it'll come back around in five years or ten years. I'll be saying the same thing. In five years, I might be saying something different based on where the pendulum is. Um, and it, I'm not 100% convinced that it's we're at that point where the pendulum is going to stay swung towards cloud because I really do think there is going to be a fallout from people being locked into these restrictive contracts and very high cost contracts as well. And it's not I'm not going to go so far as to say cloud is going to go away because I don't think it is. I think it's going to become probably the dominant uh, deployment option. But I think there's always going to be a place for smaller niche solutions and potentially even on-premise. On-premise is not a terrible thing. And cloud, the problem is cloud software vendors hate when I say that because they want you to think on-premise is dead because you have to go to the cloud because they make more money from the cloud and that's their business model. We don't sell software to clarify, although this person seems to think that I'm 
losing market share to cloud vendors. I'm not losing market share to anyone because we don't sell anything. We, or we don't sell any software. We advise clients on what to do. So anyway, that I stand by the, the comment that I think there's going to be a backlash, but I, I, at the same time, I always try to empathize. Like if I'm reading that comment cold without any context, or if I'm watching that little tiny TikTok clip, you know, which is like 40 or 60 seconds long, it's easy to take it out of context and maybe come up with a different conclusion. So that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. Let's do one more off of this video is one of your top liked comments or most engaged comments. Um, and this person says, I disagree with you. Cloud and SaaS will be substantially cheaper. The IT job market will not prop up enterprise on-prem roles. What's your reaction to that? Say that last part again. The IT market will not prop up. Enterprise on-premise roles. So they're saying they're oh. not going to have those those IT competencies in-house anymore. And they're going to eliminate them, thus moving to the cloud because it is so much cheaper on the resourcing side. Ah, uh, got you. Um, yeah, there, there. I could see some merit to that. I, I know like with, uh, you look at a really old technology like... Uh, i-series or as 400 which is a mainframe green screen sort of uh technology and there believe it or not there's a lot of organizations out there still using mainframes and they have a lot of trouble finding people with that skill set just because it, it, it's just not around anymore it's becoming obsolete it could be where on-premise goes i mean it could be that in 10 years or something like that this is a moot point and there are, there are no on-premise solutions but i my problem with this the industry right now um is setting aside the the technical skill sets, which I think, you know, that obviously the skill sets are going to follow where the market goes. And so going to where the market goes, my problem right now is the vendors are pushing really hard a certain direction that isn't being driven necessarily by customers. So back to the comment about the blockbuster model, the difference there is that Netflix created a better mousetrap and, and consumers de demanded it. They They've flocked to the Netflix model because it was it truly was cheaper. It was more, it's definitely more convenient because back then when they first started, they were mailing DVDs in the mail and you mail, you know, you get three DVDs at a time, you mail back the ones after you watch it, they send you new ones. And sort of, it's sort of like a DVD rental model where you didn't have to go to Blockbuster, which is why Blockbuster died. And then of course, Netflix transitioned from DVDs to streaming when streaming became a thing. And they, they did a really good job of navigating that transition too, because they could have easily become obsolete as well. So reason I bring all this up is that that was different, in my opinion, because the customers are driving it. In this case, what I have a problem with is that software vendors are driving this. In some cases, yes, it's a better model for clients or for their customers. But in other cases, they're absolutely taking advantage of customers and they're overcharging them. Their uh, customers are paying more in the long term for cloud solutions, at least right now. If the pricing model doesn't change, I think it's going to create problems in that backlash. Now, Vendors may smarten up and, and respond to that and say, okay, we're going to stop bullying our customers and forcing them into premature transitions to the cloud just because we want them to, which is what a lot of them are doing right now. And they may decide we're going to stop charging them so much and having such restrictive locked-in contracts too. Um, so if that changes, then maybe I'll take back some of these comments. But in for as long as vendors are driving this, this uh, trend more than the customers are, in my opinion, um, I'm going to stand by that comment until I until I see something change in the in the industry. Absolutely, um, and and on the the IT competency side too, we always see that evolution shift, as you said, to where the market means. So that doesn't mean that the elimination of on-prem resources won't be opened another door to other areas that that could be potentially funded, but. 
Um, let's move on to your most popular video, which is called The Death of ERP Software. Um, and in this specific clip, you talk about kind of how the the bigger software vendors will become more obsolete moving forward. And that's basically what sparked such a huge reaction. So this is an interesting one that I, I definitely want your opinion on. So one of your TikTok comments says, no CIO will ever bet their future on a small software vendor. It's absolutely not going to happen. If something goes wrong with a small vendor, guess what will happen? You're fired. What's your reaction to that? I love that comment because I know so many CIOs that have been fired for implementing tier one systems that are bloated, too expensive, too complex, trying to do too much. And I don't see, I see absolutely zero correlation between the rate at which CIOs get fired that implement tier one versus any other system. In fact, I, 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 have no, I don't have data to back this, but I would speculate. I wouldn't be surprised. I should say, I wouldn't be surprised if more as a percentage of per capita, whatever you want to call it as a percentage of the, the a percentage of CIOs that implement tier one systems and a percentage of CIOs that implement tier two systems or something smaller, I would venture, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the tier ones are actually getting fired at a higher rate. Um, because they're just such massive disasters. You have more to lose. And um, people have this false sense of security with the big with the big vendors. And I think that comment right there just amplifies that point, which is no one it's never gonna happen. No one's ever gonna uh, deploy a smaller system because they they'll get fired. Well, that person hasn't seen all the CIOs that have gotten fired for implementing SAP and Oracle and Microsoft. So um, I don't know. I, I think it's a it's an interesting comment. I always appreciate comments, but that's one that's sort of, in my opinion, the comment itself proves my point. And maybe I'm just overanalyzing it, but that's that's my take on it. Well, there you go. I'm getting roasted um, here. This is great. I know. I know. <laughs> um, one of this is what this this comment has almost 300 likes. So I'm really interested to see what you you think about that. So it's a big pain to change the ERP system. Nope, the death of big ERP vendors will not happen because of that. Well, so I'm going to go a different direction on this one. Um, I might actually like that comment too. Let's make it 301, 301 likes. Uh, I, I do like yeah. the comment. Yeah, and, the, and uh, there's a lot of dialogue around it too where people are saying they're, you know, for example, the comment under it says, exactly, we are in full swing on changing our ERP. It's a nightmare. Two years of preparation, and we are one year into the migration, and it sucks. So obviously, <laughs> right. people share share the same um, level of the pain point around it. But do you really think that's going to stop um, smaller vendors from creating competition in the micro marketplace? Well, yeah, that's where I was going to go is, you know, regardless of whether or not I'm right or wrong, I, I don't know that that's as important on this particular comment. And I think it actually is a really good comment because first of all, I totally agree that shifting ERP systems is a huge pain in the butt. And uh, I think most people that have been through the process will probably agree with that. But I think my bigger problem is, is sort of like an industry-wide observation, which is why are organizations in these situations where they can't get out, you know, they're, they're sort of stuck with this technology yeah. that they can't get out of. I mean, that's a problem in my opinion. I, I think it's super, it's just wrong. I don't know. It's wrong to, to hear an organization or a team say, oh, no, no, let's just stay on the system, even though it's old and crappy and expensive. We're just going to stay on it because it's so hard to rip it out and replace it. Um, I, I think that's, to, in my opinion, that's more of a case for why you'd want to start with like a best of breed or more point solutions, because then it becomes a more, you know, it's a little bit easier to move pieces in and out 
and be more targeted in how you deploy technology. Um, so I think there's a case to be made for that. But, you know, I certainly get the point that if you're a big SAP shop and you want to rip out SAP and go to Oracle, that's going to be huge pain. And that's that's a big risk, too. But it's also a big problem. So interesting comment for sure. Absolutely. I mean, well, and a huge risk. If you have you if you have a system that you are not capable as a business of migrating away from. Right. I mean, that's something that that to me, I agree, would be a, a huge problem. Um, so let's go to your other video here that's one of your top ones and it's called um the most difficult transformations of your career um and one i wanted to share here that was a popular one is that's not digital transformation that's forcing a client to use a solution you make a nice margin from regardless of whether it's the best solution for what they need so I wanted to pick this one because you get a lot of comments like this so that you could totally address how completely wrong that is. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, because we're not selling software, so we're not making money. And that's the whole point of our whole business model. And maybe, you know, someone who doesn't know me or know third stage and sees that video or that comment, I could see why you'd go in with the assumption that, oh, he, he must be uh, a sales guy selling software and he's getting killed in the market. So he's going to come out with a video to help him sell more software. We, we don't sell software. We don't make any money from software vendors. We only get paid by our clients to help advise on selecting and implementing the right software. And so a lot of, a lot of my background is, you know, not coming at it from a technology or a vendor first perspective, but coming at it from a business first perspective, because we're on our client side leading with the client's needs. And we, we sort of see, just see things a little bit different, but, um, I think what he, he or she might be referring to, though, is I think in that uh, video, I talk about one of my early projects. And actually, it was if I'm rem if I'm connecting the dots correctly, um, not knowing exactly what triggered that comment in the video. But in the video, I talk about how one of my early transformations was one that actually gave me the initial idea to start an independent technology agnostic company. And that project was one where we got paid a ton of money. And this is by the way, before I was technology agnostic, I was part of the machine. I worked at one of the big consulting firms and uh, we were hired to come in and do an evaluation of the operations of the client, big fortune 500 company. And uh, the consulting fees were over a million dollars for us to do this assessment, to assess the operations and to recommend what technology would be the best fit. And my first week on the job on the project, I was told that we were going to recommend SAP because we had an SAP practice in, in Denver where I was based and still am based. Um, and we, our job was to recommend SAP so that the SAP practice could then go deploy their resources. And so it, I became jaded pretty early on thinking, why are they paying us a million dollars when we already know the answer and we're sort of working our way or backing into the answer we already predefined. So I think that might be what he's referring to is that you, you force the client into something that wasn't a good fit. Absolutely. I was part of that. And that's what triggered my need to want to uh, start third stage. Absolutely. And, and, and there's some other comments around here about like, how much did SAP pay you? Why were you forced to recommend them? How much does SAP pay you here at third stage for recommending SAP? Zero. They don't pay us anything, but in the defense of the commenter there in that video, I'm yeah. talking about a transformation from before yeah. I started third stage. So um, you're right. It's zero, you know, making zero money from SAP, but we made decent money from SAP when I was at the big consulting firm. And certainly from deploying SAP resources, we made a lot of money, which is why we recommended SAP so often. 
Well, good. Well, I think we've put you through enough here of roasting you for 20 minutes around TikTok. But um, I think the, the dialogue here is great. And it's good to see people kind of questioning what is the current status quo? What is the evolution? And, and what will the future be? So hopefully, um, you know, we can continue to make their lives miserable, like we hear from the student on YouTube. <laughs> right. <laughs> and all of all of these different things. But if you haven't um, checked out Eric's channel, it is a, a very good TikTok channel um, and a lot of great audience members there too. Um, so feel free to go in and, and duet his videos as well. I think it's one of the only platforms that you can really do that and speak directly to what he's saying about. So um, highly recommend checking that out um, if you haven't already. So thanks for being a good sport and letting us, you know, kind of challenge you on your TikTok comments there. Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's a lot more that came from too. There's plenty of comments on there that we could, we could spend a whole episode just talking about mean TikToks. It's actually kind of fun. And I, I enjoy certainly counterpoints and diverse opinions. Um, you know, it helps shape your opinions over time and everything. So I appreciate everyone's feedback, good or bad. Um, it's interesting though, on, on TikTok, I think you and I have talked about this on YouTube, which I, I became a little spoiled by YouTube. My following there is very like, oh, you're great. I love your videos they are so helpful, blah, blah, blah. TikTok's more like you're an idiot. You have no idea what you're talking about. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be in this industry. You clearly have never consulted. He's <laughs> just sort of like totally challenging my, uh, my, uh, knowledge or whatever. So it's a, it's interesting how, how uh, social media can have such different um, vibes or whatever you want to call it. But I do enjoy TikTok because you do get so much engagement uh, on there. So be sure to, to your point, be sure to check out my TikTok as well as uh, Third Stage has a corporate one as well. And certainly on YouTube, you can check out both of our channels there as well. So great. Well, thank you for roasting me. It's actually kind of fun, great, easy way to ease into the new year and uh, yeah, get get us to our first guest. And our, our first guest we're going to bring on after a quick break. Uh, her name is uh, Chiara Munoretto, and she's going to be on the show talking about blockchain and Web 3.0. And, and Chiara, by the way, is the marketing manager of Blockchain Netherlands. So she's uh, based out of the Netherlands. She's from Italy, and she's actually in Italy today. So we're going to interview her in Italy, um, where she's from. And uh, we'll bring her on after we take a quick break. But first, we'll take that break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings and the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. I think I, I think I, I think I'm ready now. I think I'm 
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 101. We're here uh, about to bring on our next guest, uh, but before we do, just a reminder, you can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. I'm excited for our next guest, uh, Kiara Munoretto is going to be on here with us in a moment. Uh, she is the marketing manager of Blockchain Netherlands. She's based out of the Netherlands, but in Italy here today, and she's originally from Italy as well. And uh, we wanted to have her on the show to talk about blockchain and Web 3.0 and how these two technologies are impacting digital transformations and enterprise technologies in general. So with all that being said, Kiara, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Maybe just summarize some of the examples of how, um, when you think about blockchain and Web 3, um, how are these technologies impacting businesses and maybe enterprise technologies? What are some examples that you've seen in the market so far? Of course. So um, since the topic is especially ERPs and uh, supply chain, we have seen some uh, of these businesses trying to incorporate blockchain technologies. But um, one key thing, uh, I believe, is information management. So it's very important in every ERP to focus on how data is collected, how data is processed, in which way it then contributes to analytics and in the end where information is stored, can it be reused? So in this sense, blockchain could be very fundamental because it can function as the perfect storage to have a transparent way of tracking ecosystems, uh, sorry, tr uh, tracking all uh, the data. And especially when talking about supply chain, you could go from the supplier to the consumer and see exactly where it did go wrong. So if we consider like the key risks uh, or the key problems is, uh, I think, coming with IoT technology and artificial intelligence as well, is really trying to understand better every step. How can it be improved? Which are all the steps that each stakeholder at each step of the supply chain does and how can it be improved? So stepping a little bit back from just the concept of blockchain, I really think that there's a sort of triangular combination that will be fundamental in the future, which is IoT, AI, and blockchain, because combined together, you can really um, create, I would say, the perfect ecosystem. So in this sense, you start with IoT, which basically it's just like sensor devices whether they are physical or digital, that talks to each other and uh, and just make sure that all the information is tracked in real time. But what they lack in is the processing of the data. And that's where AI comes in. Because AI have this capacity of uh, analyzing data and also elaborate solutions for this data, which is something revolutionary because they kind of, whether it's, uh, weak or strong AI, but with strong AI, they could even have a human approach. So be more critical about that. But then where do you store this data? And here it comes blockchain. So that's why I call it like triangular ecosystem, because by implementing this tree, especially in the supply chain, you could really track each step from logistics to um, a package that arrives to the consumer in a way that you can also look backward to what happened 
And if we think about, for example, to Made in Italy, okay? So how can you ensure that this is actually made in Italy in a way that no one can uh, edit the process or um, what happened. So if you just create a landing page and say, yes, we produced this in Italy, who is the party, the party that audit that, that says, okay, this is valid. So if you do this within the blockchain, at each step of the supply chain, no one can edit that. So each stakeholder just commits to declare what has been done. And in this way, the consumer then can see, okay, this is what happened to I don't know, my pizza. So um, this is where I see a lot of uh, blockchain applications, for example. That's really interesting. So the, so the um, blockchain, Web3, Internet of Things, um, those are separate technologies, but they're, they're very much related and they complement each other. Is that a fair summary or, or have I misstated that? The Web3 and blockchain, right? Yes. Yes. So oh, basically... Yeah, uh, blockchain is just the underlying technology that allows crypto, NFTs, metaverse to happen. So Web3 is just the umbrella term that incorporates all these technologies. So as I was uh, mentioning before, if we portray this to a Web2 ecosystem, now we have the internet, we have uh, social media, we have e-commerces, we have uh, softwares. All this is under a big term called uh, Web2. The same thing applies to uh, Web3. Okay, got it. Yeah, and, I, and uh, before, the sh- before the show, uh, I'll tell this little story. We had talked about, that was one of my questions I had on my list and you asked me not to ask it, but I still had to ask <laughs> it because I, <laughs> I figured if, yeah, if you... I saw someone, yeah, I don't need to, okay. Yeah, and so we want to, you know, I'm trying to dumb it down for me, and I figure if you can explain it to me and I can start to understand this stuff, then the, the rest of the audience probably will too. Um, so what are, um, question I want to get to, and it, it sort of ties to what you were just talking about, uh, Kiara, is the um, supply chain. You were, you were just talking about supply chain. I mentioned an example a moment ago about uh, food manufacturing companies and having traceability f- for recall and things like that. So if you had a, like a, a, uh, a safety issue or a health issue with one raw material from one supplier, you could trace back via blockchain. You could figure out who that supplier was or what raw material is creating the safety issue or the recall issue so that you can, you know, recall the appropriate products. Um, that's, that's one example, but, it, but a question here that we got on YouTube is, can you speak to supply chain management, best of breed solutions? Will this be a main trend moving into 2023? And that's kind of getting beyond, you know, just, blockchain and web three, but I guess, you know, maybe to, to spin it a little bit into what we're talking about here now is, do you see these technologies you're talking about in these use cases that you, you just described, are these like, are these standalone technologies typically that are being deployed as part of, you know, other technologies that are being deployed to, or are they embedded within supply chain technologies or ERP technologies or, or how are you seeing that evolve? Mm, let's say that I think that um, since, as I mentioned before, we are very much talking about management of data, any new technology that comes in to better track, better uh, secure the management of data will have an important role in the future. So um, 
Concerning supply chain, once again, specifically, there are many examples, even of specific companies that adopt uh, blockchains just for certain transactions. So considering a manufacturing company that goes from logistics to uh, the consumers or retailers and so on, there might decide to adopt blockchain or not. But what I've seen in Belgium, for example, the Antwerp port, which is one of the biggest in, in Europe, they adopted the blockchain to track all the shippings from uh, Belgium to uh, New Zealand, uh, if I remember well. So as seen here, all the stakeholders in the blockchain need to, in my, in my belief, need to reflect whether it's needed or not. Because you may, sometimes you don't need to use a blockchain, and if you do need to use a blockchain, you need to understand whether you need to use a private or a public blockchain. Because if we are talking about um, blockchain for enterprises, so as I mentioned before, let's take the example of a manufacturing company, it may be essential not to have a public blockchain because you don't want all uh, people to read your internal information, but it might be useful for you to track um, the whole uh, the whole process and then share it with you. Because um, one key concept that I think it's also important to understand for all the enterprises that wants to enter the space is who you give access to uh, edit or um, read the content. Because uh, one of the um, uh, types of blockchain is actually called enterprise blockchain. And that kind of blockchain is fully private and permission, meaning that the, the owner, the, the, the one that uh, has the key node that established the blockchain, decides who can read, who can write, and who can access the, the information displayed on the blockchain. So in this sense, it's more centralized than decentralized. But in this sense, you have transparency, you have privacy. It's not hackable. Absolutely, it's not hackable. And then you can decide to who share uh, the, the information. But one thing is really to try to understand whether you actually need blockchain. It's not just because um, it's bumping right now that you may need it. So in the future, yes, I see um, a trend coming, but I would advise not to use it just because it's a trend. Because you really need to see whether it fits for um, the size of your enterprise and talking about supply chain again, if your supply needs that or maybe just needs, I don't know, IoT devices on your trucks to better truck logistics. So this is something to keep in mind. Yeah. It, I mean, it seems like there's so many different ways you could use blockchain. And yet at the same time, you, I think what you're saying is you, it's not for everyone or, or it's not necessary to use it across the entire enterprise, but you want to be maybe a little bit more selective or strategic about how you use it. Is that the way you would summarize it? Yes, exactly, exactly. And especially like companies that have a lot of branches, it might be interesting to have an enterprise blockchain because even if you have uh, a key header uh, department in I don't know Europe you could see track in real time and it's fundamental the word real time all over the world so um, and this for example 
it's it's very interesting the smart contracts that you can apply up that you can build upon blockchain because a smart contracts are just like contracts between parties that automate processes. So if we consider a company that uh, buys uh, raw materials and then puts them in the storage and then pays the supplier, it may take a long, not a long time, but still it involves a lot of people to complete all this transaction. With smart contracts, what they do is just you set certain criteria, and once these criteria are met, a certain action happens. So put into practice with this example, uh, once the raw materials arrive to the storage, the man or woman who's there clicks a button and the payments goes directly without going to the office, to uh, the accountant that has to open the bank account and make an appointment. So it's about automation also. And this is something that... It's possible thanks to blockchain, but it's also possible thanks to all the uh, current um, companies that are developing Web3 products up on different layers on, on the blockchain. Okay, we are here with Chiara Munoretto, the marketing manager of Blockchain Netherlands, talking about blockchain and Web3.0 in digital transformations. We've got a lot more to cover. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 101. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday, streaming to YouTube, LinkedIn, and audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here chatting with Chiara Munoretto, the marketing manager of Blockchain Netherlands, talking about blockchain and Web 3.0 within digital transformation. So, I mean, it sounds like it, it helps with, you just mentioned automation, it helps with uh, better tracking of workflow and better tracking of of uh, pieces of the supply chain. And then you mentioned earlier, bef I think it was while the audio was still a little bit glitchy, you were talking about um, uh, data processing and business intelligence and how you can just get more uh, through AI and things. You can you can process that data. Maybe could you come back to that point and maybe describe that a little bit more? How does how does AI and business intelligence and just visibility into that data, how is that all affected by, um, by blockchain? So um, if you consider the, the power of AI, um, I'm actually lately also very much interested in uh, sustainability and energies and uh, here there are a lot of application on where to use this combination of um, AI and blockchain. So 
One recent uh, use case that I was doing was uh, about energy management. So let's imagine a steel company or companies that, that have a very high energy consumption. So you may manage to track the, the, the energy consumption, but are you able without AI to get insights, to have suggestions on how to better use it? Not really. So here AI comes in. Once again, if you use this trilemma uh, of uh, IoT, AI, and uh, blockchain, if you have a good IoT system, you can really track well all the energy consumption, but then you must use AI to actually make use of this data that you get. Because if you don't use data, then what's the point of gathering it in the first place? So AI comes in in an energy management system, for example, to study the performance and how can it be better implemented in, uh, in the future, but not only by giving suggestions, but maybe also by directly applying that to, uh, I don't know, the computer that is left on at the third floor of a building. Just making an, a random example. But once again, we come back to then where is the data stored? If I have extra energy available, can I trade it directly to someone else? Talking about, for example, uh, renewable energies. So upon the blockchain, since it's a peer-to-peer -peer network, you can directly trade energy in forms of tokens to someone else. Hmm. And I think that this could be revolutionary once all these processes are automated. So you don't need a person that does all this. But if we um, consider a smart contract, once again, that says, okay, uh, on Wednesday, I have X kilobytes kilobyte of energy left uh, and uh, I said it prior that once I have some kilobytes left I will trade them directly to I don't know the nearby company because um, now I don't remember the names but there are some companies that already um, apply this kind of uh, examples that I'm talking about this uh, smart contracts will enable the trading directly so the company the day after will have a reward and uh, environment-wise, we won't have this um, energy lost. So right. this is very revolutionary. Yeah, and it seems like you've, you've described a few different potential use cases or ways that blockchain and some of these other related technologies are being deployed, but it seems like there's just a, almost a limitless, way, a limitless number of ways that these technologies could be used. Um, and so back to your earlier point, just finding the right strategic focus on where you could deploy these technologies, I think is, is one of the, the key things. Um, I want to just real quickly turn to the audience. Um, I'd asked, you know, where people are joining from today. Um, we do have a truly global audience. We have uh, Malcolm from Bardsley, UK, uh, Manoj from Auckland, New Zealand. Speaking of New Zealand, you were just talking about New Zealand. Um, we have India, Denver, Colorado, London, Leeds, UK, uh, Grand, For Grand Forks, North Dakota, uh, Bogota, um, Bogota, Colombia, uh, Yorkshire, UK, uh, Croatia, Japan, um, another one from New Zealand. So London, people from all over the place. So thank you very much for uh, letting us know where you're joining from today. I'd also love to hear from the audience too as we, as we continue uh, chatting with Kiara here. 
um, is understanding, you know, what are some examples maybe you've seen uh, in the audience? What are some examples you've seen of blockchain or Web3 uh, being used, especially at the enterprise level, if you have any good examples of how your enterprise or if you're a consultant, you know, ways you've seen other organizations use um, blockchain and Web3? I'd love to hear uh, any feedback you have there um, first uh, as well. So um, I'm going to go to some comments here. Um, I have to show this one just because it's a personal thing. Uh, Tom Scholes was brilliant. Um, I don't know who said this on LinkedIn. I can't see the name. Um, in case you don't know who Tom Scholes is, he's the guitar player of the band Boston. And the band Boston is what I named my company after. So um, thank you for noticing. And he probably noticed the uh, right behind me. I can't point right, <laughs> right there is that that's the Boston album right there. So I imagine that's what triggered that comment. Totally irrelevant to blockchain and Web3, but I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the comment and uh, uh, appreciate you being here today. Um, so one question I want to get to, though, I lost it um, right here. Um, and this is actually from third stage asking this question. Um, uh, one of the points you made was really interesting. Actually, all the points you've made so far have been really interesting. So I'm not sure which one they're talking about. But what are some of the key considerations when it comes to data security and cybersecurity and blockchain? And you mentioned a few minutes ago that it can't be hacked. Maybe Can we dive into that a little bit? Like, why can't it be hacked and how does data security and cybersecurity factor into this or how is it affected if at all by by blockchain okay so here maybe it's interesting to go a little bit technical but i won't go too much uh, in the technicalities um i would say that in general of course it may be hacked because of course we're still on a very early stage but the more we advance the more also hackers um, advance, but in general, since it's decentralized, it takes way more time and effort to actually hack uh, a node or hack a transaction before the block is created. So the way a block is created, which means the way a new transaction is added to the blockchain, is thanks to different proofs that relies on the consensus of each node. So each blockchain has a different kind of consensus. So the most common ones are proof of work and proof of stake. And uh, especially with the proof of stake, it's very hard to actually uh, get hacked. But the overall uh, idea is that the 51% uh, of the all nodes should uh, like one, like one node must have the 51% of the, poten the computational power to actually allow a node to be added in the blockchain. But in the proof of stake, to do so, you must have, you must take, which means holding the 51% of the whole coins active in the that blockchain. What some people may do to have uh, this power or to try to reach that 51%, then that is called an unhacking attack, is to try to, to group together to get more computational power. But still, it's barely impossible to combine that many computers together to try to uh, stake the coins, because the overall idea is that we trust honest nodes. So um, on the other hand, in the proof of work, each computer is, um, say, fighting against each other to allow a new block to be added on the blockchain. So it's very, very hard. Like while I was standing, I heard like 
billions and billions of possibility and years before someone could actually manage to get enough computational power to hack the other ones. So mm. concerning to cybersecurity, it's very hard to actually hack the blockchain as blockchain. The all examples that we see of fraud in cryptocurrencies or uh, hacking of payments and uh, identity uh, theft and so on happened because the blockchain wasn't fully decentralized. So the centralized blockchain are, for example, block, um, Bitcoin and Ethereum. The recent FTX case uh, and all exchanges were centralized, meaning that in some ways they owned more than the overall uh, nodes. So once again, we see this uh, difference between centralization and decentralization. Now we live in a fully centralized uh, world. And that's why if a hacker's access is because another company owns all the data and has a system that it's vulnerable and there's only one uh, database that needs to be hacked. In the blockchain, you would need to hack thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, different nodes. Hmm. So is it sort of like, um, you know, I've, I've seen those... Uh not server rooms, but you know, the, the big, I've seen big rooms that people have that do all the bit, uh, the, um, the blockchain mining. mining. Yeah. yeah. Is it sort of like that? Like you'd have to replicate what people that are mining Bitcoin, what they have to do. Is it that sort of computational power? Like you have to put in that much effort to try and hack someone's blockchain. I, mm-hmm. I'm not a hacker. I never hacked any blockchain. So actually I don't know in detail, how can you hack, um, that but basically uh, you would need to find an alternative way to rather detrust the nodes that are honest or call like that so they have like uh, beneficial intentions but anyway as long as there's the 51 percent of the overall network of nodes that is honest or beneficial the this 51% can still reject the um, malintentionate. So that's that's the thing. It's not that the um, a user that is not benevolent can just hack it. Needs to uh, find a way to kind of mask that thing. Unless once again, we're talking about permission blockchains, which have different kind of or private blockchain that are more uh, hackable. Okay, yeah, it's super interesting. I I was but not... it's it's very technical. I and uh, I would need to talk like for hours and hours to really explain in detail. So I hope that at least you got an idea on that. Yeah, yeah, that is helpful. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed that you're not a hacker, though. I was kind of hoping that I could dive into that a little bit further and, ha- and have you explain why you do the things you do. But since you're not a hacker, I'll, I'll have to save that for another time for another guest. I cannot say it here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, let's see. Well, I'm, I'm just curious, though. So what made you what made you decide to focus on these technologies? You know, you're, you're relatively early in your career and you, you, you sort of have set this as your area of focus in your your trajectory in your career what what made you choose this area i'm just curious so actually i started just like 
almost two years ago to dive deep in the in this uh, in this topic. I firstly started with cryptocurrencies because I was like, wait, there is a fully other alternative to 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 euro to dollar that it's not CBDCs or digital cash. So I got very interesting in that. Then I started learning more uh, that there was the NFT boom and um, there was the corona pandemic. So I had actually a lot of time to, to spend just on learning. And then among everything, among the metaverse and so on, I really studied well the blockchain because that's why everything else happens. So uh, I really like this new idea of decentralization and this idea of giving power to users because um, a lot of time, like sometimes we also talk about the creator economy, which is just like what we are experiencing right now. So all the users really um, feeling empowered in sharing content, creating content, and sometimes also they have rewards thanks to monetization, if we see influencers and so on. But still all this data and the support they got from the audience is not rewarded. In a potential decentralized social network, for example, we have audience that supports uh, creators directly without any intermediary. So there's a really um, diverse way to really empower users empower companies that it doesn't exactly mean that there there's no need of intermediaries but they don't need to own our data mm. and sometimes i think that what um doesn't get into the mind of people when we talk about ownership of data is that it's very much abstract because if we think about our data online and someone stealing our data it's still abstract because you're still here, you still have your idea in your hand. But if someone steals the ID, your physical ID, then immediately you go to the police, you try to understand what happened, you need to get a new one. But since it's abstract, in a certain way, it less concerns you. So hmm. when we will understand that as of now and in the next years, digital content, digital data, will be as much important as paperwork and uh, physical data, then maybe this shifting will be will happen much faster, I'd say. Interesting. Okay, we are here with Chiara Munoretto, the marketing manager of Blockchain Netherlands, talking about blockchain and Web 3.0 in digital transformations. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. 
Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 101. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday streaming to YouTube, LinkedIn, and audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here chatting with Chiara Munoretto, the marketing manager of Blockchain Netherlands, talking about blockchain and Web 3.0 within digital transformation. While you were talking there, you were talking about metaverse, or you mentioned metaverse sort of in passing, but there is a question about metaverse, about Web 3 and the metaverse. Are those two things, or actually anything we've talked about so far and the metaverse, are, how does metaverse fit into all this, that, or does it fit into everything we're talking about here? So metaverse is another big word that has populated um, in the last years, and it's actually um, still under the umbrella term of Web3. So it's part of the Web3. It's a um, big project. A lot of people talk about it. No one knows if there there exists just one metaverse or man, many metaverses exist. A metaverse is just a, a space where that as such should be decentralized, meaning that it's built upon the blockchain. The way that... Um, you move inside the metaverse should be made within the tools of decentralization, meaning that uh, if it's a, I don't know, a gaming metaverse and you want to buy uh, an object, you will use cryptocurrencies or buying that object would mean to buy an NFT. So metaverse, let's say, encompasses and incorporates all the Web3 features in general in this as we have seen so far, these words that are very much user-empowering and that can be combined with augmented reality, virtual reality, depending on uh, the companies. But uh, a lot of the metaverses that we have seen so far are still centralized. So in that way, I would call it more, uh, say, advanced gaming platforms that uh, maybe allow you to use virtual reality. But still, this doesn't mean that they are decentralized and they create, let's say, an equal uh, mirroring of the reality. Interesting. Okay. That's super interesting. Um, third stage has a... Uh, they're trying to be funny here, but they're not. They're really not. Uh, they're saying <laughs> Eric, is, Eric is triggered by hackers. Guilty as charged. I'm triggered by hackers. And we, had, we just yesterday had a... Uh, a phishing scam attempt in our company. So I'm, I am a little triggered right now by, uh, you should people. use blockchain. <laughs> I know, I, know. <laughs> I, I should for sure. Um, here's a question from Zishan on YouTube. And this is a great question. Cause I don't even understand. I don't even know what half this question is, but so maybe you can help me understand it, but how would you differentiate blockchain and hyperledger? I don't know what hyperledger is. Maybe you can That's describe what very, that is. Very, very technical. I have, it depends if hyperledger, you mean the company, or what? It's lowercase. So I maybe he just is talking about hyperledger in general. Is that is that a company name and a general technology too? Yes, because hyperledger itself, I'm not that knowledge about to make a comparison with blockchain. But hyperledger is also a company that uses blockchain. So it's a blockchain company. That's why it's kind of confusing. Oh, I see. And it's actually one of the companies that allow enterprises to uh, adopt their blockchain. So that's why I thought it was very much focused. So 
like among all companies that develop blockchain, Hyperledger did uh, impact the enterprise industry by giving a lot of tools um, and focusing on that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, that's I learned something new every every day, and I did not know what Hyperledger uh, was. Um, I guess just to you know maybe bring some of this all full circle. Um, what are some what are some what's some advice that you would have for for organizations that are interested in this type of technology but they don't know where to start like they don't know you know like you said earlier you don't want to just go apply blockchain across the entire organization or you know just go all in on these technologies because it may not add value or it may not be a good fit for what you're trying to accomplish but how would you so how would you help or what would you advise a company to do or a team to do as just to get started on the journey toward blockchain and Web3 and some of these other emerging technologies that we're talking about? Um, I think really study your environment and all stakeholders that you would need to include in the blockchain. Because if you don't educate these stakeholders or if your company doesn't actually need that, then it wouldn't be beneficial anymore. So once you study the state of your business, the size of your business, and what is your problem? Because blockchain solves certain problems. So uh, as such, for example, transparency. So it gives a more transparent and visible, trackable um, uh, path of all the information. But if that is not your problem that you want to tackle, then it might not be needed. So, uh, as I was mentioning before, when I was making the example about uh, IoT and blockchain, if you are a manufacturing company that needs to implement better uh, tracking of the logistic because you want real-time data, you may need blockchain just to uh, track the data. But most importantly, you need IoT devices that are really keen on detecting each step of the track. So I would say really understand what's the problem and why you associate that with blockchain. Then maybe contact some specialists that would evaluate your business. And then lastly, try to read some past use cases because there are many companies that are trying to adopt that. But um, as also mentioned before, some are just adopting centralized blockchain rather than public blockchain, which I would also advise because for an enterprise, it's better to have a, a private or um, a consortium blockchain because it gives you the power to decide who can do what within uh, the network. So this absolutely. And another thing that I noticed and the companies that have adopted the blockchain so far, very few companies have switched from databases to blockchain completely so far. So if your company is not big enough to keep both kind of technologies to evaluate which one is better, maybe wait a second because we are still on an early stage. So if you want to substitute completely your system and move everything to blockchain, maybe you should reflect a little bit more. Because if we're talking about companies as big as, I know, Google, then of course they have the the power, the size, the money to say, okay, in this branch, let's try to apply blockchain, and the and the rest still goes on. But if you have just one business, just one, let's say revenue stream and so on, maybe wait before just switching fully to to blockchain. Hmm. 
That's good. Good advice. And um, one quick question I have um, in that response you just mentioned that I want to clarify is if you have a private blockchain, then are you exposing yourself to more potential cybersecurity risk because now you're not decentralized as, as you were talking about before? Yes, that's true. Okay. That's true. That's correct. You're you're more exposed. So you're more exposed on the cybersecurity side, but functionally and in terms of just managing your workflows and leveraging the technology, it might add more value in a private uh, blockchain situation. But exactly. Just, okay. But that's so why now, I also mentioned um, to really understand what's the problem, because if you yeah. need fast transactions, then you may not use a public blockchain because you have more nodes. So the consensus takes longer. So it's not as fast as private blockchain. Well, if your main concern is cybersecurity, maybe you should opt for a public. So that could really depend on the type of problem that you want to tackle. Right. Yeah. And you just uh, used one of my favorite phrases, which is it depends. Um, uh, which, <laughs> which which answer is best for you as an organization or as a team. It just it depends on what your priorities are and um, what it is you're trying to accomplish. I think that's really well well put. Um, how and do people... One last thing. Oh, just um, because also that varies upon the companies that offer blockchain services. So each blockchain company offers certain kinds of uh, applications on that or tools on that. There are certain um, technological schemes built upon the blockchain that are specifically designed for uh, fastening the processes, other for building smart contracts, other for keeping um, the blockchain more secure. So it's not only which type of blockchain, but also which company uh, are you, which blockchain are you relying on? Because it will allow you to uh, have a certain uh, action, like make certain action and have certain tools. So choose wisely also on that. Right. Yeah. And, you, and what do you think in general, what do you think the future holds for blockchain and Web3? I mean, as far as like growth or, um, you know, any trends you see in, in the space that you think will become more apparent in 2023 and, and beyond? So um, I think that what needs to be done right now is to simplify these terms, because uh, if we think about the reality in which we live right now, not every user on the e-commerce know how to code to build a website e-commerce. So in the same way, not every user needs to know exactly how blockchain works. But this is kind of the trend. So everyone needs to know exactly how it works, which term uh, means what. But just because uh, user interface is not enough developed to make it super easy for user that just need to use the technology. So I think this is the kind of next step I see happening. So uh, a lot of companies entering the space just to ease the process of, um, of accepting Web3 uh, features. And once again, I think it really depends on the kind of um, tools or objects we want to uh, foster in the future. So cryptocurrency may not substitute digital money and cash, but blockchain is different. Like they're completely two different things that what, like cryptocurrency cannot work without blockchain, but blockchain can work without cryptocurrency. 
So blockchain may just be the next internet, the next cloud. So that's why I kind of always differentiate that because one thing are all the applications built on the blockchain and the other one is just the, the network itself. So blockchain, I see it happening. Uh, cryptocurrencies, it really depends on how governments, banks will regulate them because as of now, there's also uh, a huge need in trying to regulate and harmonize uh, all this. I do believe in NFTs because they have multiple uh, functions, not just as art as we have seen right now, but they very much give ownership to, to assets, which could be literally our digital identity, even if that's also another topic with self-sovereign identities, but it's right. very much another topic. Yeah, yeah, and there's so much more we could cover too. I feel like this is worthy of a, a follow-up discussion that we could go deeper into some of this stuff. Um, but I want to thank you for being here. This is a really helpful sort of a starting point uh, discussion. And, and I would like to have you back at some point um, to maybe dive in and cover a few different different areas in more detail. But I uh, really appreciate you being here today. How, how do people get a hold of you, Kiara? I know we, we got to know each other through social media, but what's the best way to connect with you or for people to find you if they want to reach out to you and ask more questions or just follow you? Yeah, I would say rather on LinkedIn or uh, on Instagram. It's my name and surname, so Munaretto Chiara or Chiara Munaretto, and uh, you can find me there. All right, thank you, Chiara. Very interesting conversation. A lot more we can we can get to. Uh, apologies to the audience for some of the technical issues we had in the first few minutes of that interview, but hopefully you picked up uh, everything up until then, and certainly the last uh, the the last three quarters of the presentation or the discussion seemed to be all right on the audio side. So thank you, Chiara, for being a, a sport and, and powering through some of those technical issues and being such a good guest on the show here today. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll recap uh, some of the key and salient points from that conversation. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 101. You can find new episodes every Wednesday. And uh, Kyler, we just had Chiara Munoretto on the show talking about blockchain, Web 3.0, and the role in enterprise technology and digital transformations. What were some of your thoughts from that conversation? Yeah, I mean, what a what a great conversation when it comes to understanding the overall um, umbrella of you know Web three and and um, getting an idea of, of what that looks like in combination of blockchain, AI, and then IoT, uh, and understanding the connectivity around that. Uh, I think it was fascinating the technical piece i i personally had no idea that blockchain was so secure 
I thought, um, you know, it was something that we kind of were struggling with, with the cloud to understand, you know, where we were, our security weakness points are as an organization that was part of kind of the master data management plan. I didn't know that it was actually an asset to understanding um, cybersecurity and, and actually protecting that. Um, so that was something I learned from that conversation. Yeah, I, I had no idea too. I, I would have thought with that peer-to-peer model, it actually increased your exposure. But what she was saying is it, that decentralized model is what makes it not 100% secure. Nothing ever is, but at least it makes it a lot more difficult. Uh, it takes a lot more computing power to um, uh, to, to hack blockchain. But I, I, one thing I didn't ask her, I, I, I thought of it after the discussion, was uh, whether or not she thinks that'll change as computing power becomes more you know, exponentially better than it is today. Will that make, you know, blockchain more vulnerable? Um, I would like to have her back on the show at some point in the future. So maybe that's something we could cover with her, but that was uh, sort of an open question I had uh, on there as well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think there's just so much opportunity, as she mentioned, for this to be involved in really a, a digital enterprise. Uh, the question will be is how do we create the foundations to make sure that these technologies can operate? As she was mentioning, artificial intelligence is just that. It's artificial. Um, it needs an ability to interop it, or operate within the organization via a network and understand and dig out those important business intelligence decision-making um, though that can be done through automation and autonomous systems, there still needs to be a level of understanding where the organization strategy is going in order to lead the overall technology. Um, so I, I, you know, I think that really will be the first step to understanding what is the the playbook or the roadmap for an organization to really integrate into these, especially organizations that are are very, very complex. You know, you mentioned food and beverage and leveraging blockchain to do things like regulation or um, look at visibility to the supply chain, um, which we've covered a, a few weeks ago with our um, food and beverage case study with our, our APAC team. They use a lot of that technology and understanding what that looks like for a lot of our food and beverage clients. Uh, but the more complex the organization, the more touch points that you need to be able to understand and have visibility too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where blockchain can add a lot of value from what Kiara was saying is that, you know, when you have complex transactions or you're trying to trace something through a number of different transactions and workflows, blockchain is great, a great technology uh, to do that. Um, I was also interested, you know, back to your point about her, you know, her comment about um, how it depends. Basically, I, I sort of forced her into saying it depends, even though those weren't her exact words. I just like to uh, force others to, to say it. In fact, we should make that a drinking game for this podcast. Anytime it depends comes up, you know, you take a drink of your, your beverage of choice. But um, one thing that was interesting is usually or oftentimes when you have someone who's focused on one type of technology like she is, she's gone kind of all in on this whole blockchain and Web 3.0 um, area within digital transformation. A lot of times people that are so focused on one technology will, will say that, hey, this can solve the world's problems and uh, it's always going to be mm-hmm. a great answer because you're so passionate about it. But she has a good way of sort of tempering that enthusiasm with, hey, it's not yeah. always a good fit and here's where it doesn't doesn't work. And uh, I think I think it's interesting that she recognizes that there's still some maturity that's happening or maturing that's happening with the technology. So th- I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah. And and getting attached to the language around it. I think she did a good job of really focusing and navigating the technology, not 
it's not the metaverse. It's not, you know, all of these different pieces in which you want to call it that's going to be, you know, an, an end all be all for solving all of our, our technical problems. Um, there's a lot of different layers of technology that's involved in something like the metaverse. And as a business, you need to ensure that you understand those layers and are really to really optimize and embrace them as opposed to just think that there's some sort of deity type of savior that comes from new technology. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll definitely be curious to see where it goes. You know, I'll be curious to see if it becomes here in 2023 or even into the next couple of years, uh, if blockchain and web 3.0 continue to gain steam and, and that sort of ties into the metaverse too, which we didn't talk a lot about that, but web 3.0 and the metaverse are very closely related. So it's sort of, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of potential that hinges on these two technologies and uh, just be curious to see, you know, if it becomes widespread, like it has the potential to in the, in the near future. Absolutely. And, and having, um, having her back and, and be able to kind of talk to more of our technical users. I always like when we see questions that we're like, I don't even know what that means um, right. up on the screen, because then we really have the opportunity to educate and understand uh, the overall power of these new systems and, and what they, they can bring to a, an overall business and digital operations strategy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very, very true. Well, we'll have to have her back on. Cause I feel like there's a lot, a lot of unanswered questions I still had, not because she wouldn't answer them, but because I didn't have time to ask them all. And uh, I know the audience had a lot of questions too. So hopefully she's someone we can have back on uh, with less technical issues, hopefully next time too. That that was uh, one of the rare times where we actually tested everything, everything's fine. And then we go into record and then we, we run into some issues. So hopefully everyone was able to make out uh, the gist of what she was saying. So great. Well, uh, thank you, Kiara, again, for being on the show. Great conversation. We would love to have you back in the future. We're going to shift gears, though, and when we uh, come back from a break, we're going to play you a presentation that I gave uh, several months ago. It's an executive summary of digital transformation best practices, which we thought would be a good way to set the context and sort of queue up or tee up 2023 as you think about your digital transformation initiatives and perhaps you're just starting out. You're, maybe you're just starting an implementation. Maybe you're starting to think about new technologies. Maybe you're in the middle of an implementation. You're trying to figure out how to, how to optimize it. There's going to be some great best practices in that discussion for you, regardless of where you are in the journey or if you're just trying to educate yourself about best practices. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll play you that presentation of an executive summary of digital transformation best practices. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 101. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and audio podcast platforms. 
be sure to follow us on social media as well. If you're on uh, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you are, be sure to follow Kyler, myself, and Third Stage Consulting on your social media platform of choice. We put out new content daily as it relates to digital transformation. So what we thought we'd do in the final segment here today is queue up a presentation that I gave at a digital stratosphere event not too long ago. And it's a presentation that I give to a lot of our clients, um, especially when we're first starting an engagement with them. It's a presentation I give in industry conferences quite often because it's a good overview strategic session about what it takes to be successful in digital transformations and what separates successful transformations from failures. And so we thought it'd be a great way to sort of kick off 2023, new year, new budget cycle, new planning, you know, new ways of thinking and really share uh, some of those best practices and lessons from some of our clients that we've worked with over the years. So let's roll the clip. It's an executive summary of digital transformation best practices. What I wanted to do to start today's session and in today's series of speakers is to talk about an executive summary of digital transformation best practices. And this is actually a presentation and a discussion I often give to a client executive teams um, as a sort of expectation setting and a, and a sort of uh, backdrop setting exercise, really just to get everyone on the same page with what digital transformation is and how does this apply to our business or our organization? And ultimately, how can we define a strategy and roadmap for us that makes the most sense given our unique circumstances, whether it's our industry, our strategic goals and objectives, our you know macroeconomic trends we're trying to address, whatever it is, we want to make sure we have a, a clearly aligned and clearly articulated strategy. And that's really the intent of what, what uh, today's conversation is meant to cover. So with that all being said, let me um, go ahead and share my screen here. All right. So as I mentioned, this is an executive summary of digital transformation best practices. Um, if we go to the next slide here, you can see um, one of the things I always like to start with is, and, and this was actually a question that came up in my presentation yesterday, uh, or one of the, I, it might've been in the Q&A at the end of the day, uh, the question came up of what is what is digital transformation? What does the term mean? And, and how do you describe it? Um, what kind of technology does it entail? And if I were to simplify um, and maybe just summarize what digital transformation is, it's essentially any use of technology to improve your business. If I did in its simplest terms, that's the way I would describe it. So it's any any sort of technology that allows you to improve your business. And, and along with the technology, obviously, there's the process improvements, the organizational uh, implications and whatnot. But in general, it can be any sort of technology. And a lot of times people will ask, you know, well, does that mean ERP, you know, enterprise resource planning software, or how does HCM or CRM fit into that? Or how does artificial intelligence fit into that? And I think with digital transformation, it's important to, at, at times, just sort of set aside the buzzwords, um, set aside all the um, industry trends and things of that nature. It's good to know, you know, as an input or good to have as an input. But at the end of the day, it's really about what technologies are best going to enable whatever goals you're trying to accomplish. And for some organizations, it could be, you know, a single standard ERP system that's going to drive a common operating model throughout the world, global operations. Or for other organizations, it might be more of a best of breed approach where we're going to deploy different CRM and HR technologies and different financial systems to address our specific needs. Uh, for or other organizations, it might be more of a piecemeal, you know, very targeted uh, technology technological approach. So it really does depend on what it is you're trying to accomplish. So whenever you hear the terms like industry 4.0 and internet of things and AI and machine learning, 
it can be overwhelming. And it's important not to get too lost in those details or those uh, buzzwords and trends. Again, you want to understand them. You want to understand where technology is headed, but you also want to understand more importantly, what it is you need, because there's a lot of stuff out there in the marketplace. Honestly, most of it you probably don't need. There's probably just a handful of different types of technologies that will best enable whatever it is you're, you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, again, it's, it's really looking at your entire organization and the scope of your organization, what you're trying to accomplish, and then finding the technology that best fits that. Another question we often get sort of related to, to this previous slide is what is, what is digital tr transformation in, in terms of how it compares to ERP implementations? And that's one of the biggest questions we get. And, you know, without getting too caught up in slicing hairs or, or specific nomenclature, I think the bigger thing here is to make sure that we, we have a, a good understanding of what it is we're trying to accomplish. So if, if we're looking to simply implement ERP, which is not simple, but if it's more of a focused specific technology that we're trying to roll out through the organization, it, you can see how that more myopic or more focused approach differs a bit from um, some of the some of the um, other aspects or some of the different dimensions of of transformation. So when we look at an overview of these different two different paths here, you have ERP implementations that are more focused on back office technologies. Usually, it's one system that's sort of integrating your operations. With digital transformation, on the other hand, that's looking more broadly at technology, just technology in general. It's not honing in only on ERP or only on one sort of technologies, looking at the entire landscape of the business and the landscape of potential technology options and ultimately figuring out where that technology best fits within your organization. Um, if we look at, um, if we could go back to that previous slide, please. Sorry. That's right. The, there's a, if we look at business process management too and organizational change management, those two, uh, the third and fourth boxes there, you see that with ERP implementations, you're, it's more automation and enhancing your existing processes and training people how to use the technology and how to use that new system. If we take more of a digital transformation mindset, which is a bit more holistic and more open-minded, that's where we're looking at potentially more leaps, quantum leaps in technology. So rather than just upgrading our ERP system and creating more incremental improvements or creating some initial automation that didn't exist before, with digital transformation, we're looking at how could we leverage some more emerging technologies or very specific technologies that can help build capabilities that are going to give us a competitive advantage or sell more product, increase our revenue, um, you know, have have mass improvements to our productivity and our effectiveness. You know, it's, it's so it's more of a um, a broader jump, I guess I would say it's it's a more of a, a broader change to the organization, whereas ERP implementations, which still are very big changes to most organizations. Um, it, it is still is a bit more incremental if you're just looking at one specific technology or, or an upgrade of one specific technology. And then when we look at business value, the overall transformation time and cost and the risk, you can see again that ERP implementations are typically more incremental improvements to business value. It's going to take you a certain amount of time to implement ERP systems. But when you're looking at a broader digital transformation, usually it's going to take you longer. It's probably going to cost you more. It's probably going to be a bit more painful and higher risk at times. But organizations that do that are doing that in the name of having higher business value and a higher overall overall ROI. Now, this is not to say that digital transformation is better than having a more focused approach on ERP or CRM or HCM or whatever the technology might be. 
It's just to say that you you do need to understand what it is you're trying to accomplish with your with your transformation. And if you're more focused on a digital transformation, then you just know that you'll need to invest more time. It'll probably take longer. There's probably a bit more risk. It's probably a bit more disruptive in the short term because you're you're asking the organization to change more a bit more dramatically. And so think of it as a continuum. You know, maybe you know you want to look at where on that continuum or where on that spectrum you fall between more incremental ERP types of implementations versus a broader, more quantum leap digital transformation. And so when we look at um, some of the top challenges of digital transformations and what, what organizations struggle with, this is actually a, um, a graphic from our annual digital transformation report, which actually there's a, if you're assuming you're watching it here on Crowdcast, you can, uh, there's a button right below my slides here that says download the 2021 transformation report. Um, you can actually get that entire report and all the research and best practices that come from it just by clicking the green button. Uh, it's a free download, so I encourage you to check it out. It's uh, we put a lot of uh, thought into that that paper. Um, but in that research white paper, you'll see that there were uh, five top challenges that organizations specified as their biggest challenges and risks as they went through their transformation. So it's sort of a a backward looking. You know, once the organizations were done with their implementations, as they looked back what were those biggest challenges that they faced? And you can see that the, the number one challenge that people faced was, was organizational change and the people part of the transformation. So this gets back to Teresa's uh, presentation yesterday. If you didn't get a chance to see that, I highly encourage you to go check that out, uh, the recording of that session yesterday, because it does focus more exclusively um, on the people side of things. And I believe we're, we're gonna touch on that again later today. And it's hard for us to present anything as a, as a company and as a team without touching on change management. So you'll get a lot of that throughout Stratosphere in addition to what you've already uh, received along those lines. But the key takeaway here is that change management is the number one concern and challenge that organizations have after they've gone through their transformation. And I, I made the comment before that it's, it's uh, I have yet to meet a client that has told us, you know, we wish, we wish we would have spent more time or, spent less time on organizational change management. We just spent way too much on time on change management. We wish we would have spent more time on the technology. Um, I have yet to meet a client. I've never met a client or an organization or even a consultant or team member that's ever said that there is there is such a thing as investing too much in change management. Most organizations say we wish we would have spent a lot more on that. And this is true, by the way, even for organizations that hire us to do the change management, usually even then they still feel like there's more they could have done and uh, they, you know, they, they sort of uh, feel like there's a lot that uh, they could still do to improve that piece. So change management, people side of the equation is number one. The number two challenge that organizations face in their transformations is misalignment with strategic objectives. And that's where you have this dynamic where the corporate or executive team and leadership is taking the direction a certain way, or they have a vision of a certain way they want to take the company, but the ERP project or digital transformation ends up going in a totally different direction unintentionally, of course, it's not that people are intentionally trying to be misaligned, but it's because either the project has been delegated to a project team with very little direction, or the executives haven't done enough to clearly articulate what the goals and objectives are of the organization to then translate it into what that means to the digital transformation. Um, or it could be that at some point along the way during the transformation, the path of least resistance sort of overcomes the project and you end up going back to or reverting back to the way you're you're most comfortable and the way things have always been, which is another way to create misalignment because that's typically not why 
organizations want to go through the transformation. They typically don't want to remain the same. They typically want to improve, but the path of least resistance is to stay the same. So those, all those things are, are sort of dynamics that uh, create or contribute to that uh, challenge. Um, number three is not managing the system integrators well. And that, that's a really big one. And that's a, a, a very common overlooked challenge that organizations face is that they don't manage their system integrator well. They hire the system integrator or their implementer or their VAR or their software vendor with the expectation that that third party is an expert in that technology and they therefore will be able to handle a project of this scope and magnitude. There's a couple of problems with that mindset, even though it's understandable why people think that. One problem is that the technology is just one one work stream within an overall program or a digital transformation program. And so it's unrealistic to expect that your software vendor or your system integrator, your implementer is going to handle all those different pieces of a transformation. They're going to handle one work stream, um, but that's, that's it. I mean, there's other things that need to happen. There's the architecture, the data migration, the integration, the change management, process improvement, the overall project governance and controls. It should really be you managing that, not your system integrator. Um, the second challenge that you see, especially if you're a larger organization and especially if you're working with a larger system integrator, but the second challenge is that you oftentimes get outnumbered and outgunned, for lack of a better word, by your system integrator. They, they have more people staffed on the project. They bring the army of consultants. Many of them, by the way, are straight off the school bus, straight out of college. So there's a lot of issues that come along with that. And there's a lack of transparency often that comes along with that. So it, it, this is all a reminder that you do have to view this as your project and you're the one that should set the tumble for the project. You can certainly take inputs from your system integrator. They'll have their proposed project plans or methodologies, their tool sets, but it's your job to validate that that all makes sense for your organization and push back where it doesn't. And it's also your job to wrap around the system integrator all the other stuff that needs to happen and make sure you're managing that stuff because otherwise it's not going to get done or it's just going to get done very poorly. Um, so those are a few tidbits or, or tips on how to how to manage that challenge. Uh, the number four thing is the clarity of business processes is lacking. And that's a big challenge for organizations. They don't have a vision of what they want to be when they grow up. So what ends up happening is this dynamic of the technical implementer is on site or you know, doing workshops with you, they're ready to start deploying technology. And there's a million different ways you can roll out technologies and the workflows within it. And if you don't have a clear understanding of what you want your processes to be, you're going to spend a lot of time spinning your wheels while the army of consultants is billing by the hour for you to figure out what it is you want to be. So you really do have to spend the time if you want to be effective and you want to manage your system integrator better and have a clearer vision for the project in general, you want to spend as much time as you can up front defining your business processes, especially in those competitive advantage types of areas, and especially in those parts of your business that are very unique to you because it's a competitive differentiator or it's something unique to your industry, unique to the way you deliver to your customers, whatever the case may be. And with that, by the way, you know, one of the, the nuances or the challenges to be careful of is that most vendors and system integrators that I've seen in my career will suggest to their customers that you don't need to worry about your future state business processes. We have best practices. Our software has pre-configurations or industry best practices, whatever, whatever buzzword they want to use for it. And the reality is, is that just doesn't exist. It's, it's very rare that you find that pre-configurations or industry solutions or uh, commercial off-the-shelf standard best practices 
it's very rare that they actually apply to any given organization. Now, it may be true for some of the more standard, more vanilla business processes uh, like accounts payable, GL, uh, maybe procurement and purchasing, things of that nature. But once you start getting into manufacturing and um, your customer service, the way you take orders, the way you interact with your customers, the way you manage your supply chain, chances are pretty slim that you're going to have best practices. It's typically going to be uh, a number of decisions that still need to be made to be able to configure the software. It's not like you can just flip a switch and the software works. There's a million questions that need to be answered as part of that, that design of the software. So if you don't have your processes defined, you'd spend a lot of time um, and a lot of money during the implementation doing something uh, that's, very, that's highly ineffective to do that late in the project. Um, and the other alternative is that when you don't have your business processes well-defined, you're going to have a bunch of consultants and technology type people making those decisions for you because they'll just configure the software the way they think it should be configured, um, which then contributes back to misalignment and some of the other problems we've, we've talked about here. And then finally, the number five, uh, the fifth thing on the top five reasons why uh, companies face challenges in these transformations is the, the fact that they had trouble with their data migration. And data migration is oftentimes viewed as sort of a uh, uh, after afterthought. So it's uh, we, we see a lot of system integrators who either push that entire responsibility onto a client and the client doesn't know how to what to do to start cleaning up their data and how to map the data to the new system and how to migrate the data. But a lot of SOWs will will just push that responsibility onto the onto the customer. Um, the other challenge you have with with data is oftentimes system integrators. I don't want to say they don't care, but that's not really their job. To, to migrate data. Their job is to deliver a system or a series of systems that can manage that data. So if your data isn't ready or the data is corrupt or you don't have the right data sources, it's not really, you know, it's not really their problem necessarily. It's something that you've got to figure out. So the, the sooner you can start that data migration in your process, and we typically advise clients to, and we help our clients to do that during the implementation readiness before, even before your system integrator starts oftentimes we're already working on the data piece of it to make sure we have a clear data management uh, strategy and plan so those are the five big challenges that organizations face with with their transformations we are here listening to a clip of my presentation entitled executive summary of digital transformation best practices we've got a lot more content to cover we're going to get back to it as soon as we take a quick break you're listening to transformation ground control Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings and the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. 
And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 101. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham, and we're here playing you a clip from a presentation I gave not too long ago at a digital stratosphere event called Executive Summary of Digital Transformation Best Practices. Let's jump back into it. So another consideration and another risk to think about with digital transformation is this whole notion of operational disruption. So often organizations get so myopically focused on what is this going to cost me? This implementation in the acquisition of software is going to cost me X, you know, X million dollars, whatever the number is. Um, and they don't consider and don't think about what is the real, what is the real total cost of ownership and what is the real cost to the organization? And what I mean by that is, first of all, more often than not, organizations have unrealistic expectations for their actual implementation budget. They don't budget enough time and money and the system integrator underbids the project and underestimates and then they change order them to death. And so it ends up driving up your implementation cost. But that's actually not the biggest risk you have. But that's where most CFOs and COOs and executive teams are focused is let's make sure we manage that implementation cost. And that's important. You do want to do that. But the even bigger risk is what happens after you implement. And it's rare that organizations even think about what what is the risk or what is the cost to us if things don't go well. So, for example, if we can't ship product for 30 days because the the system failed to deliver and people aren't using the system the way it should be, and we just for whatever reason, there's breakdowns at go live and now we can't ship product. What does that cost us? And you do want to put a price tag around this stuff, because what it is, is essentially risk. I mean, that's the risk of, of a, a botched project is that you can't, if you can't ship product for 30 days, as an example, what is that cost in terms of your lost revenue, your lost profit, your deferred revenue, your deferred profit, uh, the morale impact that that has on your employees. You have to quantify all those costs because what you see here, that the second, um, the second uh, blue box on the left side of the screen here, it, it shows you that the initial um, or, or the the impact of operational disruption can be anywhere from 50% to 300% of the total budget. So in other words, if your budget was $10 million to implement, and that's what you're going to spend on the implementation, the average organization could have anywhere from from uh, 5 million to 30 million of, of operational disruption costs. And so those costs can actually dwarf the cost of the implementation. And by the way, I, I skipped an important point, which is the first blue box at the top, which is that over 50% of organizations typically experience some sort of operational or, or material operational disruption at the time of go live. And what I mean by material disruption is not just it was a little bit awkward, it was a little bit uncomfortable, we were a little bit less productive because every organization has that problem. This means that we had some major breakdown at the time of go live in terms of not being able to ship product, not being able to, to uh, process customer orders, not being able to close the books, something along those lines that in most cases would be deemed unacceptable. And so it's amazing that still over 50% of organizations spend all this time and money on their implementations and end up with these unacceptable results. So the key here is to do a lot of the things that I talked about on the previous slide and some of the you know, best practices that are being shared by all of the speakers throughout this event. 
Um, that's one thing, but also it's important to really understand the trade-offs you make in the implementation and how that affects the bigger cost or the biggest risk of additional cost. So for example, I'll give you a real simple example that ties back to, to Teresa's presentation yesterday. She talked a lot about change management. Um, and one of the questions we often get is how much of our budget should we spend on change management? Well, you know, you could in theory say spend a million dollars on change management. On paper, you could save a million dollars by cutting change management. That's one way to save a million dollars on in this example. And so oftentimes exec executives will look at that and say, well, let's save a million dollars then. Why spend the million dollars if we don't need to? Well, you could do that, but what does that mean to the adoption into the overall organizational change? And what does that mean to the go live and the disruption that's gonna have? So in other words, it could be that you saved a million dollars over here in implementation, but now you've created multi-million dollar problems at the time of go live because you can't ship product. And so you can't look at it myopically, just one side of the equation. You have to look at what are we investing uh, in terms of time, cost and resources on the implementation and what is the impact on go live? And that's a that's a trade-off or a full big picture view that that a lot of uh, organizations, if not most organizations and consultants, by the way, typically don't consider. And so that's something that needs to be considered as you, as you think through this is how can we ensure that we get through this project not only in a way that's you know efficient and effective on time on budget, but also one that doesn't disrupt our business and one that allows us to ensure that we mitigate the risks um, along the way during that, during that transformation. So some of the keys then to digital transformation success, then, you know, we've talked about where some of the challenges are, but now if we, we sort of um, back up a little bit and say, well, how do we avoid these problems? I mean, no one, I don't think anyone on this call or in this event will want their transformation to look like what, you know, I've just described here with the, uh, the challenges and some of the operational disruptions. So what do we do? How can we, you know, can, can we avoid those problems is a big question. And it, the answer is a resounding yes, you, they can be avoided and they are fairly predictable. You know, the, the things that organizations do to create a lot of the problems that I just described are, are pretty predictable. On the flip side of the equation, the things that make projects successful are fairly predictable. It's not, it's not a surprise. In other words, it's usually um, when you see a failed project or a successful project, it's usually, you know, if you look at what they did and what the organizations focused on and how they prioritized and the leadership behind it, um, the decisions behind it, how they manage their system integrator, all that stuff, it's pretty, it's a pretty common pattern in both buckets, the failures and the successes. You know, each one has different patterns, but they're very consistent within that bucket. So one of the one of the first things to remember is that the failure can be avoided. So it, it's not just uh, that these failures happen. It's not just bad luck. Um, a lot of times the organizations themselves feel as though they're sort of deer in the headlights. You know, they don't know what just happened to them. They don't know what's happening to them as it's happening. Uh, but it's not luck. There's something behind it that's very consistent and predictable and why those failures are, why those projects are failing. And so there are technology agnostic best practices that help avoid these sorts of failures. Um, one of the biggest things that, that I constantly repeat if you watch my videos read my blogs or podcasts or anything like that i constantly repeat that you know bias in the industry is one of the biggest problems with transformations and the bias comes from vendors it comes from consultants that are focused on one technology it comes from the blind spots in the industry it comes from the the monetary and economic incentives to sell more software 
there's a ton of bias in this industry, which is why I started third stage because I, I didn't like that there was so much bias and I was part of that bias when I you know, started my career. So I wanted to create a company that was sort of the opposite of that, that, that was unbiased, that didn't represent vendor best interest, but represented client best interest. And the reason that's so important is you do need to focus more on yourself and your business, your strategy and goals and objectives, and less on the software vendors and what they think you should do. Because again, their, their job is to sell you software and to be agnostic and independent is one of the best ways you can you can mitigate some of those some of those risks. And then the last thing on the slide I'll mention is is a final point is that you don't want to settle for mediocre results. I mean, a lot of organizations are just glad to be in business after they get through a transformation. They're they're just glad they didn't have a complete unmitigated disaster. Um, that's a pretty low bar to set, and you should really be aiming to not just not fail, but why, why are you going through this project in the first place? You're not doing it to not fail. You're, you should be doing it to transform your business, improve your business, make it more ready for the 2020s and the 2030s. Um, you know, make your employees more happy to be there, provide better service to your customers, all that stuff. So that should be where your mind should be, not on let's not screw this up. Because if your focus is on not screwing it up, you're probably going to fall a bit short of that goal. Whatever goal you set, you'll probably fall a bit short because these projects are hard. So you don't want to set the bar that low. Um, and if you're focused on not failing, it creates this defensive, um, this defensive mindset and this defensive decision-making process that usually ironically leads to more likelihood of failure. So for example, if I'm so focused on not failing or not blowing my budget, I'm probably going to make some bad short-sighted decisions. Like let's cut change management because that's going to save us a bunch of money. Um, that would be an example of how I might make a decision if I'm just trying not to fail. Although the irony of that is if you really don't want to fail, you should probably invest more in change management. So that sort of decision-making is, is very difficult for organizations. But the key here is that uh, the failure can uh, certainly be avoided. So the next takeaway here in terms of what some of these best practices are for a successful transformation is to start with a clear digital strategy. Make sure you have a clear vision and that you've articulated and translated the vision into what the transformation means and what the project governance behind that transformation is so that you have that clear vision of where you're headed and, and what you want to be when you grow up. One of the biggest challenges we see with organizations is um, it's almost like a uh, if you think if you think of a um, not a bell curve, but think of a graph that maps out the, the morale and excitement and the momentum you have on a project like this. Usually it's pretty, you know, it's pretty moderate. Let's just say when you first start the initial exploration of new technologies, but as you get momentum in that project and the, you know, the executive team and the board approves the budget to go evaluate potential systems and they create that internal alignment and focus on we're going to move forward with a new system replacement or a digital transformation. What ends up happening is you create excitement and momentum and people get really excited and then they start to see the technologies and the possibilities that could be within their organization. And they get really excited and momentum's high, morale's high, right as you're selecting new software and you're getting ready to start the implementation. Unfortunately, that momentum peaks right there, right at the point where you decide on new technology and you get approval to move forward, you mobilize a team, everyone's excited. The minute you start facing headwinds and start stepping in landmines, the morale starts to drop, the excitement and momentum drops from its, from its peak. And the reason I bring up this dynamic is it's at that point, at that peak point is where a lot of organizations make bad decisions because they're so blinded by the optimism and the excitement 
that they don't think about, you know, hey, maybe we should slow things down a bit and make sure we have a clear strategy and plan. And mo we've mobilized our resources, we've defined our business processes, and we started to take a look at our data. We've we've uh, we have a we have a clear data migration strategy. We have an organizational assessment, an organizational change strategy to address the unique organizational challenges that we're going to face during this transformation. They don't take take the time to do all that stuff because they want to jump in and start implementing stuff because they're so excited. And and then the the vendors and the system integrators add fuel to that situation by saying, yeah, close the deal today and I'll give you a special deal that is a once in a lifetime deal. And you therefore sign the contracts and all of a sudden you've got a million people, not a million, but you've got a, an army of consultants and a bunch of software that you're paying for starting on day one. And then it creates this, this whole domino effect now, a ripple effect of rushing um, towards an unclear goal and strategy. So you really want to make sure you've got that long-term strategy, the alignment, and that any decision you make along the way should be aligned with those longer term goals and objectives and the, the blueprint and the parameters that you've defined before you've ever started deploying technology. The other um, takeaway too, the other sort of best practice uh, as, as I call them here is to, to let business drive the technology. Don't let the technology drive the business. Now, technology is certainly going to provide you tools and capabilities that you don't have today, for sure. So, of course, the technology is going to bring you things that you, you can't do today or it's very difficult to do today. But at the end of the day, your business and your business needs should drive the technology. It should be all about your strategy, your goals, objectives, what you're trying to do operationally, strategically, what sort of customer experience you're trying to enable, what kind of employee experience you're trying to enable, what kind of business value and ROI you're trying to create as an organization that should all drive the technology deployment. Unfortunately, most organizations flip that and they focus so much on the technology. And then the vendors, of course, are focused on the technology because that's what they do. And so you've got all these people focused on technology, but not the business. And so you, you really have to flip the script on that and focus more on the business. Let the, let the dog wag the tail instead of the tail wagging the dog. And it's important to remember that it's not an IT project, even if your CIO is the executive sponsor, or even if your IT team is heavily involved, which they should be in the project, um, it's not them that's leading. It shouldn't be them that's leading. It should be a business-driven initiative that focuses on business operation, strategy, business value, and the people, et cetera. Um, also, same with business process improvements. I mentioned before that the whole concept of software best practices and pre-configurations is a myth it doesn't they don't exist in terms of effective use um, they do exist and it's a great selling point it's a great marketing message for vendors and you can occasionally use them to your benefit but more often than not it's, it's a misleading uh, myth that it just doesn't add material value to a project so you want to make sure that you do have you know business process improvements defined up front that then you're going to use to uh, technology to help enable um, it's, it's backwards to, it may seem counterintuitive to some, but it is backwards to assume that we're just going to deploy technology and the technology will, will give us the answer for what our process improvements are going to be. If you take that mindset, then what's going to happen is, again, the path of least resistance, the organization is going to deploy technology the way they've always used technology because that's what they know and that's what they want. That's why you need a clear vision, a clear roadmap, a clear blueprint for what you want in terms of process improvements in the operational model going forward. And then finally, your, your uh, transformation should be closely aligned with measurable strategic goals. And sounds simple enough, but you, it's, uh, it's a common 
trap that organizations fall into that they get so enamored by technology, but they can't necessarily articulate how that technology is going to drive measurable strategic goals and objectives. And if you can't connect the dots, then that's probably a good indicator that maybe you should think about not buying that technology or not deploying that technology. And so you want to make sure that you don't get too caught up again in all the buzzwords and hype around AI and predictive analytics and machine learning. That stuff's great, but it may or may not add value to your business. And so that's really the key is to understand where is this technology going to add value to our business? And if it doesn't, maybe we don't deploy that technology or maybe we look at a third party bolt on for that part of the business. Or maybe we just focus on improving the processes and standardizing some ways we do things and leveraging the technology we already have. That That's OK, too. So it's a, it's a matter of really having a clear vision of how the business will drive the technology and not the other way around. We are here listening to a clip of my presentation entitled Executive Summary of Digital Transformation Best Practices. We've got a lot more content to cover. We're going to get back to it as soon as we take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 101. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham, and we're here playing you a clip from a presentation I gave not too long ago at a digital stratosphere event called Executive Summary of Digital Transformation Best Practices. Let's jump back into it. And another root cause of a, of a lot of failure points and a lot of mistakes that happen in a project uh, is this concept of unrealistic expectations. So oftentimes when that, that peak momentum point happens, which I talked about earlier, that peak momentum happens, we have pretty unrealistic expectations at that point. As humans, when we're excited, momentum's high, we see a vision for the future, um, it doesn't seem that difficult. You know, it feels like it, it, we're all ready, right? We're ready to move forward. We found our software, we're about to sign a contract um, that the vendor's promising us the world. They've told us we can implement this project, say in 18 months. Um, yeah, let's go, let's go forward. And so you end up with this mindset that everything's great, everything's perfect. And you get into the project and realize it's not. There's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of headwinds. There's a lot of risk, a lot of things that you don't know when the peak uh, excitement is there. So you want to be sure that you have a, a dose of healthy skepticism to make sure you have realistic expectations because you, you want to understand what the risks are. Um, even at that time of a peak excitement in a project, you still need to be thinking about, well, where are the risks? Okay, because this is this is exciting, right? But there are risks out there on the battlefield that we're about to enter. Let's go find where those landmines or risks are rather than assume they're not there because we can't see them. They're there. We just need to find them so we don't step on them. So and we can do that, by the way, in a way that's not demoralizing. Um, in fact, it's it should be more empowering and more exciting to know 
that, hey, I see what's out there and I know what I'm about to do rather than this sort of a, a blind fog that, that we might be walking into. So making sure we've got those realistic expectations is critical. Um, that misalignment oftentimes with the misalignment around expectations often leads to rash and bad decisions. Um, again, if we if we don't um, if we have unrealistic expectations, what ends up happening is because we think this implementation is going to take 18 months, which let's just say for hypothetical purposes, it was never going to be 18 months. It's more like 36 months, but I'm being told it's 18 months. I'm creating a, all these parameters, these false parameters around an 18 month project. And I'm going to get at some point into that project and realize, wow, there's no way we're going to do this in 18 months. So therefore I need to cut scope. I need to cut change management from the, the schedule. I can't worry about data migration now. I'm just going to have to, you know, start over with new data, whatever. I'm just giving some examples here, but those sorts of decisions end up being bad decisions that you end up having to make because you had unrealistic expectations. So that's why it's so important to make sure you have those expectations aligned and clear and realistic upfront. And you also want to make sure that you understand the risk with time, cost and resources. And as I mentioned, you want to make sure you have some professional skepticism uh, with your vendor. The point of this, um, this thought here is that your implementation process and the time and resources and money invest in your implementation should far exceed the time and money you invest in the software evaluation and selection. A lot of times organizations get caught up in sort of an analysis paralysis cycle. They, they, uh, on one hand, you want to give them kudos because they're being very thorough in their evaluation and they're making sure that they find the right software, which is great. But on the other hand, no technology is perfect. And the more, the more you analyze any product that's out there, any system or any technology that you might want to deploy, you're going to find problems with it, things that don't match exactly what you need. And that's okay. You, you want to know what those are, but you also don't want to get so hung up that you can't make a decision because you can't find that that unicorn or that rainbow of perfect software that doesn't exist. So it's one way to look at this is you don't want to rush the selection process. You want to be thorough. You want to make sure you find the right technology, but at some point you get a point of diminishing returns. You're, you're overthinking it. You're spending too much time and money on the selection. And the way you have to look at this is resources are limited. Every time or every hour of time and every dollar of budget you spend, on the selection process is one less hour and one less dollar you can spend on the implementation. So the faster you can get to a good decision means that you can spend more time and money on the implementation, which is where the real challenge and where the real um, potential success comes from. So you wanna make sure you've got that, that selection uh, done in an objective, effective, fast way. And that's just as an example of a way we help our clients do that is we have a, a database that has 30,000 business requirements against close to a thousand different systems um, in the marketplace. And so we can go and pull up any of those requirements to see which systems best handle those requirements. And it's a good objective way to provide objective data that sort of counterbalances the bias data you're going to get from your vendors and the demos and the RFP process. But it also uh, speeds things up too. You know, it's going to make us help us get to that short list and help us get to a decision faster because we have that tool set supporting us. So that's just one example of how you can be effective, speed things up and focus more on the implementation. And you, you really want to make sure of, of consulting firms or project teams that drag out the selection process, either because they don't know what they're doing and they don't know enough about the different systems in the market. Um, or it could be that that's, you know, if it's a, a software selection firm, it maybe that's how they make their money. So they want to spend more time and money on it. So 
um, you, you just be leery of all that. You want to make sure that you've got a, a realistic and aggressive but effective uh, selection process so that you can spend more time on the implementation. And then a, a, a sixth thing here is to know that there are no silver bullets. So you have to be aware of the industry hype and all the best practices and industry pre-configurations and the, the, uh, the hype around the cloud and how easy it is to deploy how cloud technologies. Just be aware that there's a lot of silver bullets out there. There's always going to be, there always has been. Um, that's how vendors sell, right? They, they create hype and they, they perpetuate that hype by not only selling their software, but also hiring industry analysts to put out reports that are telling you the same thing, which is technology is great. And these are the silver bullets. You know, some of the common things, you, you know, some of the most common areas of hype right now in, in the industry are certainly cloud is one. And it's not to say that people shouldn't be moving to the cloud, but it's, it's to say that if you're moving to the cloud, just know that there, it's not a silver bullet. It doesn't make your implementation easier. It's just not going to make it easier. You still have to change your processes. You still have to change your people. You still struggle with all the failure points or the risk points that I've already talked about. None of that stuff goes away as a result of cloud. So you just have to be aware the cloud is, is a silver bullet. Another example is agile. You know, a lot of times now, um, I think what the software vendors and system integrators are doing is they're sort of piggybacking on this um, lean startup trend, I guess you call it, and in agile movements within the software development space they're kind of piggybacking on those trends to to address a perceived problem in the industry, which is implementations take too long and take too much money. So what they're doing is they're saying, well, let's call it an agile approach, then we'll be agile in our in our implementations. Well, that's great. It sounds good. But it, just because you're going faster in the wrong direction doesn't mean that's the right answer. So you just want to be be uh, aware of and again, back to that skepticism, make sure you understand what some of those challenges are. Um, and I, I mentioned, uh, you know, anything that has to do with cookie cutter or fix all strategies you want to be, be leery of whenever a vendor is telling you that this solves all your problems because it, it's not going to solve them all. And the key takeaway here is that last bullet, which is that transformations are hard. So whether you're using an agile approach or deploying cloud technologies or uh, pre-configured industry solutions, okay, maybe there's some benefit to that stuff. But at the end of the day, this is hard work. You've got to roll up your sleeves, change your processes, change your people figure out how your systems and data are going to tie together. There's a lot of risk associated with a project like this. So none of that stuff goes away. You still have to do all that. So that's the risk of silver bullets is it creates this false expectation that things are going to be easier than they really are. And then the seventh thing is to control the tempo of the project. And I mentioned this earlier, that it's your project. You don't want to be rushed prematurely into implementation just because you're getting a, a once in a lifetime deal on software licenses or software subscriptions, um, which by the way, uh, those once in a lifetime deals typically are honored at any point you're ready to buy software. So don't fall for that. Um, but you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons why organizations rush and it's, it's, it's important to remember that it's, it's always better. It's cheaper and faster to implement right the first time. It's a lot more expensive when you have to redo it or have two or three tries at this. You might as well spend less time and money on the overall project by doing it right the first time. And again, you can look at a budget on paper and see that it shows a number, but oftentimes that number is not realistic. It's it's actually going to balloon to say double that. So then that begs the question of, okay, instead of doubling an unrealistic number, what if we take that unrealistic number, make it realistic? Maybe we add 20% or whatever the number is to the time and budget, but that ensures that we have more likelihood of success. 
So you want to get it right the first time. And you also want to, um, you know, address conflicting priorities and understand that if you are going through a massive amount of change as an organization and a software vendor is coming in telling you they can implement in six months or 12 months or 18 months or some unrealistic number, you have to understand that, well, maybe we push back and say, well, let's not make it a 12 month project. Let's make it a 24 month project to account for the fact that we have competing priorities. We're going through a lot of changes in organization and maybe we're risk adverse. We just move slowly as an organization that it's not the time, you know, it's not the time to decide you're going to be a fast moving, aggressive organization. If you're not doing a big implementation or transformation is not the time to make that decision and then assume that you're just going to be more aggressive or change your culture overnight because you're not going to. And you're also not going to change those competing priorities unless you have clear commitment from your leadership team to stop other initiatives that are conflicting with that. So you just want to be realistic about the landscape, the culture, who you are, and, and let that drive the tempo of your project, not the not the uh, software vendors or, or system integrators. So all this, this is all transformation. It all takes time. And then finally, last but not least, in fact, I'd say most importantly, change management. The, the organizations that fail, and, and when I say fail, I'm, I'm referring to projects that clients have helped us or, or hired us to come recover because they failed with themselves or with another consulting firm, or in cases where an attorney hires us, like Marcus Harris, who you'll hear from later today, an attorney like Marcus hires us to be an expert witness in a failed lawsuit or a failed project that has led to lawsuit. What we find in all those cases, every single instance, is that change management wasn't addressed properly. There was a under-focus, lack of focus on change management, but yet this people component is the most important. So it is very safe to say, and I'm very skeptical of any sort of universal, um, one-size-fits-all sorts of solutions or answers, with the exception of the fact of that se second bullet, which is that your project will fail without change management. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a high growth startup type of company, or if you're a mature multi-billion dollar global organization, no matter who you are, you're, the project is going to fail if you don't address change management well. Every organization is full of people that are, that are imperfect. Every organization has a culture that is going to be disrupted by this project. Every organization has its own business processes and systems that are going to be disrupted by this project. All that means that you need change management. If without it, you, you're going to fail. And that typically goes well beyond training and communications. Um, that includes things that uh, I've included examples of here, organizational design, defining what job roles and responsibilities are gonna look like going forward, uh, business readiness, the change impact, understanding how different departments and individuals are affected by the changes and then ultimately helping them through those changes, uh, benefits realization, the communications, the uh, executive alignment. Those are all examples, just a few examples of areas where change management uh, can help enable uh, some of these these process improvements or, or help enable a more effective transformation. And, and one of the um, another thing, if you're interested in more about change management, in addition to listening to Teresa's Teresa Richardson's presentation from yesterday about change management, I also encourage you to download our change management guide, um, which you can find on our website. If you just go to um, thirdstage-consulting.com, go to the resource center, you'll find a guide to change management that you can download that has a bunch of, it elaborates a lot more on a, a lot of the stuff on this slide here. So those are a few of the things that, uh, you know, eight things that are critical to any uh, transformation. And it's really the ways to uh, avoid failure and uh, address some of the, the risks that we've talked about. 
Um, as always, the previous slide shows our, our different offices and contact information if you'd like to reach out to any of our team members um, at any of the four uh, regional offices internationally that, that we have. That's that's the contact information. You can always email us at info at thirdstage-consulting.com. And then on this last slide, I'll, I'll include all my social media stuff. So if you're not following me on social media, be sure to do that. I put out stuff uh, borderline obsessively uh, on a, or maybe full on obsessively, depending on how you look at it. Um, I put stuff out daily on the different uh, social media channels. So be sure to check that out. Okay. That was my presentation entitled Executive Summary of Digital Transformation Best Practices. Uh, hopefully you found that helpful and uh, got some good knowledge from that. That's a, hopefully a good way to queue up your 2023 and your digital transformation initiatives that you might be embarking on here in this new year. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll chat about some of the takeaways from that presentation. But first, we'll take that break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 101. Thanks for being here today. Um, Kyler, we just played this clip of Executive Summary of Digital Transformation Best Practices presentation that we uh, often give or that I often give at industry presentations and we give that same presentation to clients fairly often as well. What were some of your takeaways now that you've seen it for the millionth time probably? I think you've seen me present that a, a bunch of times. What were, what were some of your takeaways now that you've seen it again? Yeah, well, it's it's still my favorite because it really does offer a step-by-step. -step. You can go through that presentation and kind of check the box on each one um, that, you, uh, that you're that you going through in digital transformation. I, I think the overall, obviously, organizational change, you kind of hone in on the end, is really going to be the core to making sure your digital transformation is successful, understanding how to assess that, measure it. But really, the biggest takeaway that I always um, – pull from that is the project ownership must lie with the business. And it's so very easy to let the technology drive the project, to let the vendors drive the project, to kind of fall into those conflicting different agendas. It's almost like everyone in the project team needs to carry around a little a little mantra card that they remember why they're doing this and why it's best for the business. I think it's so important to continue to even open your strategy or, or um, status sessions with reminding yourself that this is your project, you own it, and it should be for you know maximum benefit to your business. So I think that's the one core message that I would, you know, just double down on from that great presentation. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think uh, it's human nature in some ways, or it, it's uh, people have a tendency to want to just outsource and write a check for someone else to handle this because it's such a pain. It's difficult. 
high risk. So why don't we just bring in the experts? We'll hire a bunch of techies and a bunch of technical consultants that specialize in a certain technology. They'll come in. They're the experts. They can help deploy this better than we can. Yeah, there's some truth to that. You need outside consultants, including you know independent third parties like third stage, but you can't rely solely on those parties to make it successful. You You do have to take ownership to your point. And so I think the more organizations recognize that and take a stand and take strong leadership and um, just have clear governance and, you know, control over the project, the less likely you are to run into a money pit that doesn't deliver business value. So I think it's a, a really good, good point for sure. So, well, great. Well, this is uh, hopefully a good way to, uh, a good segue into the new year. And hopefully that presentation gives you some things to think about as you begin your digital transformation journeys. Uh, looking forward to a, a great uh, season or a new year of of this podcast, among other things. But I've got a lot of great guests coming up here in the next weeks or coming weeks. Uh, we're going to have uh, the CEO of IFS Software on the show uh, in a couple of weeks. We'll have Brad Feeks on the show who's been on in the past. He's going to be on to talk about best of breed versus single ERP. Um, lots of different topics. So you're going to see some repeat guests, a lot of new faces. We're trying to up our game and just bring on more interesting, diverse guests with different opinions and uh, always trying to educate and, and push the boundaries of, of our knowledge base here. So really appreciate you listening and uh, be sure to share this podcast with a friend, leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear your feedback on any guests you'd like us to see, to have on the show or topics you'd like us to cover on the show. So be sure to leave us a comment as well, wherever you're listening or watching. So happy new year, everyone. Hope you all have a great uh, first week back here or are having a first week back in the new year. Uh, look forward to seeing you on the next week's episode of Transformation Ground Control. Have a good week and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.